Yes, all aboard. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. And the train is building up ahead of steam. So grab your ticket. It's free. Get on board. This train will be picking up passengers along the way. Taking you on a sports journey. So, enjoy the ride. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your conductor, Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.cakeybums.com That's www.cakeybums.com www.cakeybums.com To enhance your workout, with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. It's the train that's building up steam and picking up passengers along the way. And our passenger today, longtime coach. I believe he's been coaching 37, made have just completed his 38th year. But he's beyond the coach. He's also, I would say, legendary status. But beyond the titles you can give him, he's also a mentor. He's a husband. He's a father. But not only that, he's also a father figure to many of great athletes that have come through the city of Wichita in his years of coaching. I'm talking about none other than the one and only Coach Weston Sharks. Coach, how are you doing this morning? Hey, what? Doing good. Got up and uh, did a little bit of work around the house and I was uh, looking forward to talking to you this morning. I've been looking forward to talking to you for a long time. We just haven't been able to touch bases, but... You were, I can definitely say legendary status because now you are walking in hollowed halls and walking on hollowed grounds. And I never would have seen it coming, but how fitting is it that you're now coaching at Cape and Mount Carmel? Because when I think about what you've done coaching-wise, I was at West completing my 1985-86 year, and you was there. And at that same time, we got to see Barry Sanders play. 
So we go back a long ways. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I, let me give you. You want me to give you a quick Barry Sanders story? Go uh, ahead. Yeah, we're playing a North High first football game of the season, and he he was a little slot back. He was not even the tailback. And Robert Medcalf, I don't know if you remember Robert or yep, not, was playing, was playing free safety. And this little slot back gets the ball in the reverse, and he takes down the sideline. And I'm thinking, oh, Robert to catch him. You know, Robert's a great player, and he'll have no problem taking him down. Well, Barry Sanders ran by him. Well, make a long story short, he did it three times that, that game. He touched the ball four for three touchdowns, mm-hmm. and Metcalf never tackled him. So, I mean, I'm chewing Metcalf out the whole game, the whole season I'm on him, saying, ah, you can't. You can't even catch number three from north, you know, just giving him a hard time because I really like Robert. But I didn't see Robert for about, oh, 20 years. And uh, I ran into him in a Mexican restaurant, and he came up to me, and he goes, Coach, do you know who that number three was? And I go, yeah. He goes, every time I watched him on TV, I thought of you yelling at me. So it's kind of a cool story, you know. I'm telling Robert, why can't he catch this guy? Only the greatest running back in the history of, of uh, the NFL and college and high school. He was amazing. But right. Robert and I still laugh about that today. But that guy was a pretty good football player. And as they say, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Now you can look back and say, didn't too many people catch him. Not even the cameraman could catch him. <laughs> no, he, he was something else. And I still remember getting on Robert and looking at him. And he, he looking at me like, Coach, this guy's pretty good. You know, we didn't really know who he was. We kind of had an idea. But, oh, man, amazing. And going back to the Capen thing, you know, Capen's a, the last place I ever thought I'd coach football because I, I went to Southeast High School. And we right. were big, rival, big rivals with Capen. I mean, big rivals. And um you know i i got the opportunity to retire from usd 259 mm-hmm. and pick up a retirement check which we all want to do at some point in our life but i wasn't finished coaching okay. and uh i thought you know the only way i can continue coaching and stay in wichita and and you know be around my grandchildren would be at a private school so Cape and open. I thought, you know, what a great spot to go coach. You know, it's a little different atmosphere, different mm-hmm. clientele, different. Everything about it's different. Right. Let, let's see. Let's see if I can handle this this situation. And you know what? We had a really good year this year. Uh, Absolutely. We had great, great players, uh, some great coaches. And the bottom line is people ask me the difference. And there's not a lot of difference. Kids are kids. They want to be coached hard. They want to be, you know, uh, loved. They want to be taught the game. Uh, I don't care what uh, economic background, what color, what race, what religion, any of those things. It doesn't really matter. They they want to be coached hard and, you know, um, so like they're important. So that's what we were able to do. Yeah, one of the things I was looking at last night as I was getting ready and kind of prepping myself mentally to do this podcast, because I'm not a professional by all means. But I was looking at one of the videos, and it was talking about A New Era Begins. And one of the things you mentioned was, uh, I think it was on KWCH, you said, now the defense is set, but we have three or four running backs. We have three quarterbacks. I mean, everything was wide open. But when y'all played that first game, I believe it was against Dodge City and the Mm -hmm. offensive output y'all had, and you're like, hmm. And that's when the confidence kicked in. No doubt about it. I mean, 
Uh, these guys, I think, scored 70 points total the year before. Right. And and I get to practice, and I look at them, I say, you know, we got defensive guys back, but do we have any offensive guys? And we were, To be real honest, I wasn't sure who the quarterback was going to be. I wasn't sure who the running backs were going to be. We just kind of did it by committee. And it, as we uh, got confidence in practice, the kids said, you know what, maybe we aren't that bad. They were 2-7 and seven the year before. And I said, there is no way we're going to be two and seven this year. We got too much talent. And uh, we, the kids bought in and we were able to get a few breaks here and there and, and uh, uh, got the offense going. The old, old school uh, West high offense, you know, the people say that's dead. Well, I got news for you. It's not dead. It's, it's, uh, it, it's done. A, uh, it's been good to us over there at Cape. Right. It, you know, it, it's funny that you said it because, I see glimpses of like the option as they called it back in the day, or uh, you know, Wichita State lost the legendary Prince McJunkins. So back in those days, they called them option type quarterbacks. Nowadays, we call them dual threats, and we don't right. call the play the option no more. We call it RPO. The word option is still in there, except they throw the word run pass option. But one thing you mentioned was you instill some confidence, and one of the things I've noticed about you as a coach is that's what you do. It's kind of like you father some of these kids, but at the same time, you instill confidence. As a matter of fact, I will go out on a limb and say it like this. What you done at West High was kind of equivalent to what Bill Snyder did at Kansas State. Not once, but twice. Because you left West High and went to Northwest, and I have a thing to say about that, because when Northwest opened up, West High when Northwest opened up, it seemed like they always plucked the best from West High. That seemed like an ongoing tradition. You get the best from West. So when they got you, they got the best. But you went back home and you resurrected the program again. Uh, but a lot of those kids to this day will say that you were like a father figure to them and you instilled confidence, not just on the field, but also in the game of life. Well, let me tell you something. The greatest thing that happens to a coach is when a guy that you coached or taught or were around in high school comes back to visit, comes back to uh, on Facebook and says hi, uh, sends you a Father's Day text, sends you a birthday text. The, the wins are great, but they, they go away. Relationships don't. And uh, I've been very fortunate to be around a lot of great kids at West High School and Northwest and Capon, but let's call it like it is. When you when you send spend twenty seven years at a school, you you kind of bleed maroon gold. That that part will never go out of me. But I I had great kids at West. I still can drive you know anywhere in town, uh, be at a store or wherever, or out to dinner, and I see West High guys and girls, and they will come up and and talk and. And, you know, they, they just treat you like your family. There's something about West High School. If you've never been there, you don't get it. And yeah. and when I did go, I, I want to get into this just a little bit. When I did go to Northwest, <clears throat> the day I resigned at West High <clears throat> in 2001 was the worst day of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I remember walking down the hallway and uh, everybody was crying. The players were crying. The, the students were crying. I was crying. Uh, it was just a situation that uh, <clears throat> I didn't have the same philosophy 
in coaching and teaching that the leadership at that time had. And I'm not a fake person. I'm, 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 it's tough for me to work for somebody that I just don't agree with. Mm-hmm. So I had to leave. And it, it was bad. It was a bad day. That was one of the worst days of my life. One of the best days of my life was when I got to come back uh, mm-hmm. 10 years later. And not to down my time at Northwest because I loved it. But, you know, when you, when you, it, it just wasn't home. And, you know, home is home and work is work. And it, Northwest was work. It was a great, good place, but it just, it just wasn't home. Driving there wasn't comfortable. Coaching there wasn't really overly comfortable. But, you know, when I went back the second time to West, I was back home and my, my, um, everybody told me I was crazy. They said, you are crazy to go back. You'll never, you know, rebuild those to where they can at least have a winning seasons again. And I said, yeah, we can. Mm-hmm. And uh, the kids believed in it and we were able to do it our second year. First year we went three and six, which was an improvement from the one and eight that we took over. And then the next year we were six and three. So, mm-hmm. you know, West High, you know this, West High, something special about them. And yes, and when Northwest did open, they, they plucked a lot of kids away from West High mm-hmm. School and those things. But when I took the job the first time at West, I said, we got to keep our own. You know, our, our, we cannot let all these kids transfer and, and leave and do those things. And once we were able to do that, the West High community had some faith in me uh, as a probably more as a person. Then as a coach, uh, we turned it around because there's a lot. There's a lot of coaches out there that are way better than I am as far as coaching the game. But there's more to it, you know. The, those kids got to believe, and you know, you got to do the little things with them. And you know, I've done some little things for guys in my lifetime, and they they never forget it, you know. And they've done things for me that I'll never forget. So, you know, I could talk all day about West and what it meant to me and what it still means to me. But absolutely, uh, if you haven't been there. You don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, and and that's one thing, you know, talking about Northwest getting the best. I feel like I was at the time one of the best saxophonists in the city. So when I transferred to West, I came over there and hooked up with some guys that were probably better than me. And we would have the band room rocking at lunchtime. And I was like, when I had the chance to go back to Northwest and play in that jazz competition they had and we beat them. That was such a good feeling, but we're talking sports. So I want to talk about today now, because like I said, you're at Cape and Mount Carmel. And when I say you're walking on hollowed halls and on hollowed grounds, Ed Crewell, do you see any artifacts around there that reminds you of him? And do you feel like there's any amount of pressure to sustain the success that you built upon this past season? Oh, no, let's talk about the Crewell thing first. Well, you, you got to realize that all of my years at West High School, the old timers never thought I was good enough. It was always Eddie Crewell. So I, I did walk in his shadow, kind of. I never felt horribly about it, but I was always in his shadow with the old timers. No matter what we did, it was never good enough. If we won a city championship, the old people would say, well, we won three with Coach Ed Crewell in a row. I was never trying to measure up to Ed Crewell at West. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was just trying to be myself. And I was, I'm was i a much different coach and guy than Coach Crewell was. So, yeah, that was a tough situation. But now you're talking about going to Capen and following. I don't care who, who coaches at Capen. You'll always follow Ed Crewell. 
Gary Guzman followed him, and Coach Adelhart followed him. There's only been five coaches in the history of Cape and Mount Carmel. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they, uh, you're going to always be in his footsteps if, if you, if you let yourself be in his footsteps. But I'm at the point in my life where, you know what, I, I'm, I'm me. He was him. And yeah, when you walk in, you see the, the, the records of teams he had and, and, you know, you see his picture, which is well-deserved and, and all the accolades, it's well-deserved. Um, but you know, I am who I am and we're going to go with that. But going back to pressure, huh, when you when you go take a team from two and seven to eight and two, they're gonna, people may expect that all the time. And it, all I'm all I can ever give anybody is my best. Right. And if my best isn't good enough, um, then so be it. And and you know, so the pressure part uh, of, of people expecting eight and two every year, I, I expect them have good teams every year also, but there are going to be some years that you don't quite have the players or the talent, or you don't get some breaks and and things are going to not go your way. But, you know, the most successful team and people will, will find this really, really hard to believe that I've ever coached was 1987 at West high school. Those kids that I had on that team, we were one and eight. It was my first year but they all learned something and they all, most of them became very productive people in society, a bunch of teachers, you know, a bunch of very good citizens. And I'm proud of that team. 1987. 1987. All right. Yep. All right. So now I have to ask this because this past year was what we call a trying year. It for a moment, it looked like there wasn't going to be a football season. Then there was a season, but then we had to deal with interruptions in the season. Uh, now, you guys had a pretty good schedule, but I had a good chance to talk with your good friend across town, Steve Martin. And one of the things, because their season was in, was basically in shambles pretty much because the fact they couldn't play their normal opening, you know, Capon, Carroll, Heights, and then whatever else happens. So from a competition standpoint in the City League, when you look at the teams up eastward, like your Mill Valleys, and where they get to play across state, would you like to see something like that within the city, you know, to help bolster your competition to prepare you for state playoff games? Because when you play those teams from other parts of the states, they're already battle-tested. So what can be done about that or what can be done to improve the competition in the city, per se? Well, you know, um, we do have two games a year that we can go out and play whoever we want. So, you know, like Derby chooses to, you know, play two really good teams and, and Northwest does. And, you know, so you, you have some flexibility, but I'd like to see us add one more game that we could go out and play outside competition, which would be three outside competitions and five city league schools. If you, if you really look at the schedule, um, there is a city league championship still, but there's been years that we would be uh, uh, five and one and Carol would be five and one and we hadn't played each other. So you would tie for the championship and, 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 you know, so we really don't have a true championship because we don't, all play each other. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, you know, uh, 
you know, put a little damper on it. But we, I would love to see the ADs give us one more week that we don't have to play a city team because it not not to put anybody down, but it does Northwest no good to play North High School mm-hmm. or you know teams that are really really struggling. Uh, it doesn't do North any good to play Northwest, so it would allow us to play some people like you said that. Uh, from the eastern part of the state that would get us ready for uh, uh, state competition. Now, we played a WAC schedule this year, which is Garden, Dodge, Hayes, you know, those types of schools. And mm-hmm. we felt like we uh, played some pretty good competition. It was a little down in the WAC, but it was better than playing some of the lower-level city league schools. It was better for us as, as a football team. But, yeah, it'd be nice to have an extra week. Okay. Now let me ask you this. Classifications, 6A, 5A, 4A. And I'm looking at this playoff week after week, and I'm like, well, seem like this classification is just as strong as this. Because seem like back in the day when you said 6A, that meant you was the cream of the crop. 5A, well, Capeman's pretty much been 5A pretty much throughout their career. There wasn't too much of a talent drop. What's the difference Today versus, let's say, even when you played and sued up in a Golden Buffalo uniform, because I saw that picture on Facebook. <laughs> well, you know, one thing I'll say, um, some of your inner city schools, west, north, east, southeast, and well, not so much southeast, but uh, south, <clears throat> they have large um, populations. <laughs> Excuse me. Um but they don't have a lot of kids playing football. Mm-hmm. Um, and so therefore they're playing six, a uh, football and they're not able to compete because they, they can't like North high. They're, they're over 2000 students. They can barely field a football team. Inner city kids are, we're, we're, we're losing them to, you know, other things. And we're not, they're not going out for football and doing those things anymore. So therefore six, a football to me, is not the best level of football to me. Five A football is because now you're getting into to towns that uh, uh, live and and bleed football in the fall, and mm-hmm. more kids go out. Our numbers are much higher than most six A schools on kids coming out, and we only have eight hundred students. And you know, a school that has two thousand students ought to be able to put one hundred fifty kids out there. We're putting a hundred football players out with. 800 students and only 400 guys. So 25% of our guys at our school play football. And I think the numbers uh, uh, dictate the fact that some of these bigger schools aren't getting kids out. So the 5As and the 4As are better football because we're getting more kids out than 6A schools. I don't know if that makes any sense. But it, it makes it makes a lot of sense. It makes yeah. a lot of sense to me. Yeah, you know, Southeast has uh, – over 2,000 students, and they can't put a freshman team together. I mean, it's it's really bad. Most of the – like, West doesn't put a freshman team together anymore. I don't think South does. And, and the, those things are killing the level of play in 6A. It's, it's almost – I hate to say this, but it's not good that, that we can't – we have 2,000 students and we can't put football teams together. But you got to have guys in those schools – that are going out walking the hallways like we we used to mm-hmm. and getting kids out and get them involved and tell them how important it is and sell your program. And uh, I'm not sure that's happening in some of those schools. 
Right. And the other thing I've noticed here, you look at schools on the outskirts of town, you look at your mazes and your maze south, how their programs are all of a sudden flourishing. You got Goddard, Goddard Eisenhower, you got your Andover schools. It seemed like those schools are starting to blossom and bloom. And I was just in Andover because I have a side gig and I'm noticing like they got some construction going on in one day fields and getting ready to open up a new school. I mean, what's really going on that these outer limits, these schools on the outer limits are getting players that seem like should be on the inner city. Uh, well, now let's just call it like it is. And I'll probably make some of your people mad, but <clears throat> you look at Derby's roster. Yeah. Those, those guys are all from Derby. <laughs> right. You know, they're, they're from the outskirts of town that Derby has open enrollment. I don't blame them. You know, you know got open enrollment. It's not illegal to go out there and uh, you're, you're, uh, going to Derby rather than playing football at Southeast, who can't even put together a freshman team. Uh, no wonder they're we're losing them. But it, it's we got to get coaches in these schools that fight for their kids. Yeah, and 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 get involved. And you know, I used to, and you know this. We used to at West and in Northwest and other schools, we would go to junior league football games at Barry Sanders Field and making sure that our kids stayed at West and weren't going to. Derby or Goddard or, you know, we were on them. We were getting to know the parents and, you know, we knew the aunts and the uncles and, and the grandparents, but you gotta go. You can't just sit in your school and think, well, these kids are going to come here. Quit letting these guys transfer to other schools, go out and sell your program. Derby's got a ton of them. They're from Southeast part of town. And I don't care what they say. They, they got a lot of kids, you know, they're, they're getting, but I, I'd go there too. If I was a good football player. You know, and the Goddards and, and the Andovers and, you know, but we've got to do a better job of selling inner city kids uh, our programs. Right. I believe that. Right. You know, at one time, West High, we were beating Derby, yep. you know, in the 90s. And, and uh, it's just a fact that, that, you know, we sold a program. We got kids out. We got them excited. I'm not sure that's going on right now. Right. Matter of fact, I, I know one that, young man you had personally god rest his soul and tragically his son by the same name chris bell was one of your players yeah i love old chris yeah he he was one of my students in music i didn't teach but he was one of my drum players at the church that i passed the sticks on him then his son came up and i didn't get to spend as much time with his son but i understand that he lost his life tragically too and if now, I know you and Coach Steve Martin are good friends, so I guess what I want to do is end on this note and ask you this question because we've lost a lot of good, talented, young football players, tragically. I mean, we lost the rounds, kid. We lost the second round of Bell. And mm-hmm. we see a lot of this going on. And Coach Martin said it like this. He said, you know, for me, it used to be just about coaching and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, that's all I cared about. He said, but now – you have to also invest in them beyond football. So what would you do to help curb some of what you see going on with some of these young athletes that could be going on to greater heights, but they're being snuffed out at a young age? You got to get them to, to get involved in uh, extracurricular activities, whether it be football band and continue to stay busy the whole year. Uh, you know, football, basketball, then getting drama, Keep them busy in school things, number one. 
Number two, I'm a big believer in being involved in the church. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If we, but you know what? I'm a, I'm a Christian man too. And I go to church and I don't see where are the men at, you know, Ooh. there's not many men there. It's all women. We as men need to step up, show these young people, you know, uh, that we need to be in church. We need to be doing the right things. We need to be fathers. We need to, you know, do all the things that real men do and to teach them what real men do. And uh, hopefully we can help save some of these kids because they're not, they don't have a lot of examples, but when they get involved in extracurricular activities, they have other examples, you know, uh, but I think the church is the number one thing. And one thing I do love about Capen is I can share my faith every day and it's legal and nobody can tell me that hey, you can't talk about God in school. Right. We can, which is a, a, a really uh, a cool thing. But we got to get these kids believing in us again, you know, and, and showing them what, what real men are. Because mm-hmm. we're losing sight of what real men are. Um, you know, there's several groups out there, Real Men Inc., which has, has some leaders from the Northeast side and Pastor Van and some other people like that that are really reaching out. I went to Pastor Van's church at, I think it's like 11th in Minneapolis, and I mm-hmm. attended there three years. And I, and I loved it there, but my buddy came back from Kentucky, so that's where I'm at now. But um, I didn't see many men in the church. It was all women. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with women, you know, raising kids, but they need men yeah. to, that they can see the real men. I'm not talking about farce. Right. People. I'm talking about real men. <laughs> right. Real men. And you know what? We've had some great musicians come out of West High School, too. Yeah. And you know who Sean Bolden is? He's a drummer. Yeah. How about, yeah. And how about Charles and Keith Martin? <laughs> they were awesome. Yeah. That was, are they still around? Uh, Charles, I think he's pastoring, and Keith, I think he's out there, and well, he was overseas for a little bit, but uh, I yeah. can remember yelling at Keith Martin, he played basketball for him, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, I'd say get on the post, yeah. I, I hey, great times, great times, great there, time, but yeah. we've had some great musicians come out of West, some great ones, yeah, and singers, yeah, you know, just people that were very talented that go. The most talented people for me are the ones that are at church playing the drums, playing the saxophone, playing the instruments, singing. But to me, I'm getting off topic here. But oh, you're always the real, on topic on my show. <laughs> well, the real, the real heroes are the people that go, and I'm a believer in this because my my buddy John Henry pastors a church. Used to pastor a church of about four thousand, but I said you're not the hero. The heroes are the people that pastor the churches in the neighborhood with 50 to 100 people or 25 that are reaching out trying to to better their communities mm-hmm. you know I, I i love those men and you know we need to give them more support absolutely well coach i want to thank you for your time i and loved it you i'm gonna let you know right now you have an open invitation so anytime something is on your mind and you want to come on my podcast is your platform all right Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say I want to say one thing. I got a podcast too, and the, mine is called uh, oh, now <laughs> Two Minute Drill. Two Minute two Drill, minute all right. Drill with Coach Shorts and Nancy, and we talk about faith, football, and family. All right. So I'm getting a little plug on mine, but it's a way to reach out and 
and share the gospel a little bit and share a little football and that type of thing. But All right. man, I appreciate what you do. All right. Now I'm, I'm going to have to listen to your podcast because I'm already interested in hearing that right now. So it's called Faith. What is it again? Faith. It's a two-minute drill is the name of it. Two-minute drill. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I will definitely be tuning in that. And ladies and gentlemen, Coach Sharks, and make sure y'all tune in to his podcast, Two-Minute Drill, because I'm sure it's going to be very informative. But until next time, take care. God bless, and we'll get you back on here. Anytime you have something on your mind, feel free to let me know, and I'll get you on here again. So much. All right. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. So welcome back to my next episode, and this will be my Black History episode, Black History Sports episode, but I want to send a very special shout out to Coach Shorts for joining me on my podcast. It's greatly appreciated to have people stop by every now and then and me and coach, we go back a long ways. I was at West High for my senior year. And I remember that Barry Sanders, and he didn't have that many touches that game, but each one of his touches, my goodness, nobody could stop him. It was like lightning in a bottle, or Well, no. I, you would have had to been there to actually – that was the only time I actually got to see Barry Sanders play, too. But it was against West Tie. But I meant every word I said, what Coach Shorts did at West High was on par with what Bill Snyder did at Kansas State. And now we <clears throat> understand why come he's at Capon now because of Retirement from USD 259, but he also said there was some coaching left in him. And when it's in you, it's just in you. But coach says so many other things outside of just sports. Where are the men at? Where are the, well, no, not just the men, but where are the real men at? We need the real man to step up, take their place in the home, take their place in the church, take their place in society. Thank you, Coach Sharks, once again for stopping in and being a passenger. So today now, what I want to do is I want to take a look at Black History Sports. Starting off with 10 African-American pioneers in sports. Despite the severe racial, social, and economic barriers that African-American athletes have been subjected to throughout history, there have been notable individuals who have risen above the challenges and shattered all expectations. Not only did these athletes achieve first in their sport, but many also felt a heavy responsibility 
to stand up for their communities and use their fame to push for more inclusion both on and off the field. Here are 10 African-American athletes who became pioneers in their respective sport. Jackie Robinson, first black baseball player in Major League Baseball. Jackie Robinson made his debut with the Brooklyn Dodgers on April 15, 1947, and broke the color barrier for African-Americans in baseball. It was the most eagerly anticipated debut in the annals of the national pastime. Sports authors Robert Lipsight and Pete Levine wrote, it represented both the dream and the fear of equal opportunity, and it would change forever the complexion of the game and the attitudes of Americans. After quietly enduring harsh racist treatment from baseball fans and team members alike, Robinson rose to rookie of the year and proved himself to be one of the most talented and fiercest players in the game. Just two years into the major leagues, Robinson won the National League Most Valuable Player Award. He'd go on to play in six World Series and help give the Dodgers a World Series win in 1955. Off the field, Robinson was a forefather of the civil rights movement, speaking out against racial discrimination and pushing baseball to use its economic influence to desegregate southern towns and recruit more people of color into the leagues. Jesse Owens, five-time world record holder in track. In his lifetime, Jesse Owens was widely considered the greatest track and field athlete in history. On May 25, 1935, Owens, who was a student at Ohio State University, attended the Big Ten Collegiate Track Conference in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and set a stunning five world records and equaled another in both sprints and long jump <clears throat> all within 45 minutes owens continued his supernatural winning streak at the 1936 olympics in berlin where he would emerge as the most decorated athlete winning four gold medals jack johnson first black heavyweight boxing champ Known as the Galveston Giant, Jack Johnson lived his life fearlessly as one of the most famous and scandalous black athletes in America. With the Jim Crow era in full force, Johnson's 1910 matchup with undefeated white opponent James J. Jeffries was coined the fight of the century. After Johnson knocked Jeffries out in the 15th round, Race riots exploded all over the country. Although he lived in dangerous times, Johnson didn't flinch when taking advantage of his celebrity. When he wasn't knocking out his opponents, he was busy expanding his business and banking on endorsement deals. He also had a penchant for white women, which eventually landed him in legal trouble caused by racist laws. After he fled the country for seven years, he returned in 1920 and served jail time in federal prison. 
2018, President Donald Trump posthumously pardoned him. Fitz Pollard and Bobby Marshall, first black football players in the NFL. In 1920, Fritz Pollard and Bobby Marshall became the first African-American players followed, uh, first players allowed to play in the National Football League. While Marshall, who played tight end, went on to build an athletic career, not only in football, but also in track, boxing, baseball, and ice hockey, Pollard quickly found himself juggling his running back duties with the newly added responsibility of being a head coach in the NFL another African-American first. Charlie Seifert, first black golfer in the PGA. Long before there was Tiger Woods, there was Charlie Seifert, who's been referred to as Jackie Robinson of golf. For much of his early career, Seifert was confined to compete in an all-black golf tournaments but upon the invitation of boxer Joe Lewis, he sought to enter the PGA-sponsored Phoenix Open in 1952. His presence at the event was not taken too kindly, and he received many death threats. Still, Seifert was not to be intimidated. He continued to per- perfect his game, and in 1961, entered the PGA Tour, becoming the first African-American golfer to do so. His career totaled 422 tournaments, over 50 top 10 finishes, and 22 professional wins. Next up, Althea Gibson, first black athlete to compete in international tennis. Another Robinson comparison. Althea Gibson became the first African-American to compete in a pro world tennis tour in 1956, the first African-American woman to win a Grand Slam title, French championships. The following year, she would win Wimbledon Wimbledon, and the U.S. Nationals and repeat her wins in 1958. Her career would total 11 Grand Slam wins, which included six singles titles. Gibson's athletic accomplishments were considered revolutionary, making a huge social and psychological impact on the black community, as did Robinson's for baseball. 43 years would pass until another black female tennis player, Serena Williams, would win her first U.S. Open. Bill Russell, first black coach in the NBA. A legend for his defense, rebounds, and shot blocking, Bill Russell was largely considered the top basketball player in NBA history for decades until Michael Jordan came onto the scene in the 1980s. As the former center for the Boston Celtics, Russell helped his team win 11 championships in 13 seasons. Starting in 1966, he served as player coach for the Celtics, becoming the first black coach in the NBA and the first to win an NBA championship. He also led the U.S. national basketball team to the gold 
at the 1956 Olympics. Wilma Rudolph, first American woman to win three gold medals at the Olympics. Despite being diagnosed with polio as a child, Wilma Rudolph would grow up to become the fastest woman in the world of her generation. Competing in the 1956 Olympics in Australia, Rudolph would take home the bronze in the 4 by 100 meter relay. <clears throat> but it was in the 1960 Olympics in Rome that she sprinted her way into history by winning three gold medals, becoming the first first American woman to accomplish such a feat at a single Olympics. In addition to her accomplishments on the field, Rudolph was a tireless proponent of women's rights and civil rights. Arthur Ashe, first black tennis player to win three Grand Slam titles. Known for his quiet but resolute demeanor, Arthur Ashe is still the only African-American male tennis player to have won single titles in the U.S. Open, 1968, the Australian Open, 1970, and Wimbledon, 1975. The same year he won his first Grand Slam title, he was also ranked the top tennis player in the world. Ashe wasn't only a record-breaking tennis player, but he was also known for his civil rights activism off the courts. He helped organize tennis programs for inner city youth and publicly denounced apartheid in South Africa. After contracting AIDS from a blood transfusion during a heart procedure in the 1980s, Ash spoke out about the diagnosis in 1992 and launched an AIDS foundation for further research. Gabby Douglas, first black gymnast to win individual all-around champion. Dubbed the Flying Squirrel for her high leaps in competition, Gabby Douglas is a multiple gold medal winning world champion and Olympian. In 2012, she made history at the London Olympics when she became the first person of color to become the individual all-around champion. According to her official site, she also became the first American gymnast to win gold in both the gymnastic individual all-around and team competitions at the same time. Four years later, Douglas competed at the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro and helped her team, a.k.a. the Final Five, win another gold for the team event. So there are some Black History Sports for you. I hope you found it to be very informative. So what I'm going to do right here is I am going to go ahead and take a break. And when I come back, I should have my guest or my co-host or whatever you want to call him. We just simply going to call him Smokey. He will be on here for my next segment. And we're going to do some catching up. So today's podcast liable to be two hours long, maybe. I don't know. But we're going to have a good time. This is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. I'll be back with you after this word from my sponsor. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this 
podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.kakeybums.com That's www.kakeybums.com www.kakeybums.com To enhance your workout, with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome back to my next episode, and now I've picked up another passenger. I've had him on here before. We're just going to simply call him Smokey because if I gave you his last name, y'all would swear he's a celebrity, and I'd probably get a thousand listens on this podcast. Of course, that would be great, too. But what's going on, Smokey? Nothing much, man. Nothing much. Great to be back. Great to be back. Uh I mean, just just excited for the day. Let's see what we can get into. Well, there is a lot to get into. Since the last time we've talked and we had a three-headed monster going on, we're looking at mock drafts getting started here. But let me let's let's let 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 let's back up. Let's back up. Let's back up. Let's back up. Now I have to get the information right. Were you one of the ones that said that can't see but win, or was that your partner that said it? My partner said Kansas City was going to win. Remember, I told you, Tom Brady, you can't mess with Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. And, uh, and he, he, he proved it just like that. That's why he's the GOAT. Okay. Of course, I predicted a three-point win for Kansas City, so I have to say, hey, I was wrong in my prediction. I was wrong. But one thing you have to admit, Kansas City was banged up, though, too. And Banged up where? On, where, the, offensive, on the offensive line. I mean, and, they knew that going into the game. They knew that going and, into the game. Right. And Tampa Bay knew that going into the game, and they teed off on that line. They, I mean, granted, Andy Reid has a track record. You give him two weeks to prepare. But I don't think even he could have prepared for what that defense. I mean, you know, I, I listen to a lot of guys like, you know, the odd couple, Chris and Rob, and listen to Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin. And, they was like doing a double cat blitz. And Keyshawn was like, who does that unless you know something? I mean, double cat blitz. And, I mean, Mahomes is the starting quarterback for the other team. You pulling this off? I mean, they were in the backfield more than Kansas City's running backs were. There was no solving that Tampa Bay defense that day. So, hats off to the Bucks. They had a game plan. They stuck with it. 
They didn't let Kansas get none of that deep stuff. But even with that, and even in defeat, even some of the Tampa Bay defensive players was like, man, how did Patrick Mahomes get that pass off? I mean, Patrick was getting some passes off that shouldn't have been. The average quarterback, they would have been 15 yards deep in their own backfield. Hello? You're absolutely right, yeah. I mean, there was a couple of plays where he had no reason getting the ball off, and he was throwing the ball while he was perpendicular to the floor, you know? Like, there was one where he was rolling out, I believe, to his left, and Tyreek Hill was in the end zone, and he had no business getting that ball off, but he did, and it hit him in the damn face, the face mask, and he dropped it. I mean, some of the stuff that he was able to – just doing that game, it still shows you why he's special and a remarkable player as he is. But, you know, when you go up against Tom Brady, I mean, you're going to have to you're going to have to make them plays because he's going to make you pay. You know, so. To me, it wasn't a game that I wasn't I was expecting. I thought it was going to be more entertaining. Mm-hmm. And Tampa Bay went in there and they handled their business. That they did do. Because if you look at the numbers that Brady threw up, it weren't like eye-popping numbers. But he did just what he needed to do. And Tampa did what they needed to do as a team to win the game, basically. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Brady didn't throw, I mean, for 500 yards or whatever, but he was very efficient. He did what he had to do. And his defense was basically who should have won the MVP, uh, you know, collectively. You know, those are the ones that really got it together for him. But still, he still did his thing. And that's what, six Super Bowl rings, if I'm correct? Six, uh, right? Six, might be. Is it seven? No, it, be no seven. it is seven. It's seven, it's seven. yeah. Seven rings. Yes. Yeah, it, it is seven rings because I, I found a picture of Michael Jordan and I put it up on my Facebook page and said that, well, Due to Tom Brady getting the seventh ring, Michael Jordan is going to link up with the L.A. Lakers and get his seventh ring. <laughs> yeah, so it was yeah, it was Robert Ory. I forgot there was a meeting with Robert Ory telling Tom Brady, "Welcome to the seventh ring club." Right, so, yeah. Robert Ory of all people, yeah. Robert Ory. Yeah. Robert Ory. It, it tends to make you think that maybe Jordan retired maybe a little bit too quick. Too soon. Yeah. He, he, he shouldn't have went back. He shouldn't have went. When he did come back, he shouldn't have went to the Wizards. He should have just. But, you know, it, it was time for them to say a hasta la vista because they didn't want to feel with Jerry's there in the, in Chicago. Jerry Ryansford and Jerry Krause. Krause. Yep, they had two Jerry's in charge of their team. So what else we I, I called it, didn't I? You, you gotta give me my props. I called this. I told y'all, even though you sent me, I think it was Link talking about Wentz going to Chicago. I told you the one that made the most sense. I told you it was gonna happen. Andy He's going to Indy. Yes. And it happened. Yes, and that was a good uh I mean there's different kind of reactions to who got fleeced or who didn't get, uh, who, you know, who was the winner of the trade. And uh, I honestly, I want to say it's an even win, to be honest. It's an even, it's an even trade. Chicago didn't really give up too much for him. I mean, Andy didn't give up too much for him, Chicago. And Indianapolis didn't give up too much for him. 
And, uh, you know, Philly got rid of someone who really didn't want to be there. And they still got a second round pick for him. And then the next year, it could be a first round if he plays like 75% of the snaps, which hopefully he will in Indianapolis case because they wouldn't make that trade if he wasn't going to be their starting quarterback. So I believe it's a good trade. And I think he's actually going to, you know, reclaim his position of being like a decent quarterback in the NFL, especially under Frank Wright. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Indianapolis can do with them because they got some good weapons on offense. You go, know, they got Michael Pittman. Mm-hmm. They got, uh, they got three good running backs actually, if you want to be honest with you, but they got, you know, Jonathan Taylor and then Hines who's really good. Uh, good, good little tight end group. So, you know, we should see what they can do out there in Indy because their defense is automatic is as good as a top 10 unit. Offensive line is the top, probably the top unit in the NFL. So he has no excuse not to go in there to succeed. Right. And, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot has been said about Carson Wentz that he was bad in the locker room. I mean, that whole Philly situation, though, was just a very combustible element waiting to explode. I mean, management had issues with Coach Peterson and, you know, the big pouting issue with Carson Wentz because he got benched. I mean, it was, it was basically a powder keg waiting to explode. And it was just a matter of time. Once they released Peterson, because I guess they had a difference in philosophy, it was just a matter of time. Carson was gone. But do you think Carson could have handled the situation a little bit better? I mean, think about it. The contract he got, I mean, just go on the bench, sit down, shut up, and collect your paycheck. You know what I mean? That, that's my thinking. Of course, I'm not in that situation, but that's what I'm thinking. You're still getting paid. Shut up. Get your paycheck. Go sit your butt on the bench and be happy. You just got beat out. <laughs> Bottom line. But no, he wants to make a big deal of it. I'm not. I mean, and, and I get it. Nobody wants to be on the bench. You wants to be out there at crunch time. But let's just face it. Philly was a combustible element waiting to explode and it did and whatever happened to Carson Wentz in the past is is in the past can he win the locker room over I believe he can because if you look at Carson Wentz and if you look at coach Frank Wright they're very well connected they both have a lot in common they both believe in sharing their faith they're men of faith they believe in their faith big time you know away from the football field so you already have that connection. And the most important thing you can have in the NFL is a connection between player and coach. And I believe Indy got that. So can he win the locker room? That remains to be seen. But I think he can because the elements are in place. Smokey, your turn. Yeah. So I'm going to go back on the uh, Doug Peterson situation. Doug Peterson knew what he was doing when he purposely lost that football game against the Redskins or the football team. Uh, <laughs> hey, we won't get honestly, in tr- we won't get in trouble for saying that. Trust me. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel as if like he knew what he was doing. The writing was on the wall. You know, when he went into that game, he was just like, "All right, do I really want to be here and continue with this Carson Wentz drama, or do I want to find my way out?" And I believe he found his way out by benching. Jalen Hurts and put in your boy Nate Sutherland. You know, that's on him. I mean, he does what he had, you know, he did what he had to do for the best of his situation. Um, but 
I do believe Doug Peterson honestly should still be the coach of the the Eagles, and I just think they should have just moved on with Carson Wentz in that way. But that's neither here nor there. They wanted to make a move, and that's what they did. Now back to Carson Wentz. Could he handle it better? Yeah, I mean, when you always look at certain situations, hindsight is twenty twenty. But you got to look at it his situation too. Like, what has Philadelphia? What did Philadelphia do? To, you know, to him to make him feel secure in his job. Like they never did that except for extending him a contract offer and he accepted. But then I think that following year, that's when he got hurt. And then, you know, Nick Foles took him to the Super Bowl and won. And ever since then, it was just like downhill for him in his, you know, tenure in, in Philly. And I just believe, you know, ever since Nick Foles did that Super Bowl and then them drafting Jalen Hurts, like he never felt secure. And I can see why. Like he was what, the number two overall pick in the NFL draft? And I he, believe so, yeah. Yeah, and he wasn't, you know, he didn't feel like he was number two in the NFL draft. I mean, he drafted me for a reason. Uh, up until the point I got hurt, I was an NFL MVP candidate. Uh, we were, what, 10 and, what, one, I believe, or something like that. You know, so it was, you know, it was all good just a week ago. Now look at us. Like, it's, you know, a relationship floundered. I'm on a different team. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, it's just a tragic situation for him, I believe, in, you know, in that Philly. That Philly stand. <laughs> Well, with that being said, and we're still talking about quarterbacks, how about this? Jake Fromm, Matt Barkley, or both? Bills have a decision to make at backup QB. Let me give you a little bit of this right here. It says, among a myriad the difficult decisions the Buffalo Bills must make this season, this offseason, their situation at quarterback flies under the radar. You probably never, you haven't even heard of it, have you? It says, since arriving in Buffalo as a free agent in October 2018, veteran Matt Barkley has served as Josh Allen's backup. In those three seasons, Barkley has completed 53 of 97 passes for 788 yards, three touchdowns, and four interceptions, making one spot start in 2018. He is a free agent once again in 2021. And the decision to bring him back is complicated thanks to the presence of 2020 fifth-round pick Jake from so I'm gonna stop right there. If you're Buffalo, you have a situation to back up quarterback. How do you handle it? Matt Barkley's been around a while, Jake from since 2020. But yet it's a situation that's flying under the radar because of all the other drama going on in the NFL. So, how do you fix that situation? I mean if I was the Bills, I would honestly, I would stick with what you know with Matt Barkley, you know. Um, Jake Fromm, you know, he hasn't been in, and we haven't even seen him in action. There was no preseason last year. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, hopefully this year, you know, we can get a preseason in, maybe two games, and see what he has. Um, you know, Jake Fromm, he was in the spotlight for the wrong reasons when he first came out. And I believe those, I believe, you know, that kind of hurt his position in the locker room because even in college, he wasn't really all of that for real at Georgia. He was right. decent. He was a nice SEC quarterback. But, you know, he, he's no nothing to really write home about. Uh, I mean, but I don't want to end the guy's career without actually even seeing him play, right? You know? Right. So, you know, I would personally say, hey, maybe in the preseason, 
let him play a little bit. And if he, if he, you know, has some little promise, maybe you can trade him for like a six rounder or something. You get something for him and help him elevate his career to be a backup somewhere. Um, but I would still with Mark Matt Barkley because, you know, he's been around, he's experienced, and he's a veteran. He knows what it takes to win. That's Absolutely. how I approach it. So now let me address the elephant in the room because we're looking at another situation here. Oh, Russell Wilson in Dallas? Well, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, not right now. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. You got <laughs> no, me excited. All that's, right. that's not that's going elephant. to happen. You said elephant in the room, but got me excited because it's possible, but all right, cool. What? But what could happen is we're looking at the possibility of another franchise tag to the tune of, what, $37 million this year now? Million. They're still not close on a deal with a contract. I think Jerry wants a long-term deal. And I guess part of me says that makes sense because you want that continuity of quarterback. I believe Dak still wants four years so he can explore the options after that fourth year. At what point do they say, okay, four years, five years? Because the money is pretty much still the same. The difference is the terminology of how many, the length of the contract. Can't Jerry say, all right, I'll tell you what, how about a five-year deal with an option after your fourth year? Same money's there. Wouldn't, wouldn't that make sense? So somebody has to be the bigger man and get this figured out. Otherwise, you're looking at another Kirk Cousins situation and you have a top talented quarterback getting away for little or nothing. And I don't want to hear nothing about, well, this and that. Look at his stats. His stats prove he's at least, if not top five, top ten quarterback. You don't got you don't gotta hype me on Dak Prescott. I mean, <laughs> Dak Prescott is is a top ten quarterback for sure. And I think I told you on the last week's show or the last time I was on the show, all this Dewan the Dewan Deshaun Watson type uh, talk, this man is not even better than Dak Prescott. So if you want to talk about Deshaun Watson being top five then Dak Prescott need to be in a top five category for sure because those numbers are eerily similar to one another. The only difference is Deshaun Watson was a top was a first round pick, a top pick in the first round, and Dak Prescott was in the fourth round. If Dak Prescott was a first round draft pick, the height would be totally the same and probably even uh, you know a little bit more because Dak Prescott numbers are insane. So, I mean, I believe Dak. Prescott deserves more respect from the NFL at whole and as well as the Dallas Cowboys. But, you know, I know we said we're not going to talk about it, but if I'm the Dallas Cowboys, I will make a Dak Prescott for Russell Wilson trade, like in a heartbeat, no matter what the hell I got to give up. That's just me. Uh, But yeah. See, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to agree to disagree because we've seen how this team went to hell in the handbasket. We've seen how Zeke's production went drastically down. About the only only productivity they had coming was Tony Pollard. And at some point, somebody's going to be willing to pay him some money too, if we're not careful. But Dak is like that final piece to a missing puzzle. Now, people are going to say, well, what about the defense? We will get to the defense. The defense needs a lot of help. 
They say, well, they were one and three when he got hurt. Yeah, but that's not his fault. They was in position where he had to th- chuck the ball up 150 times a game. That's but we need to address two things on that team. Defense and a depleted offensive line. And if I'm Jerry Jones, I'm looking at a couple of guys on that Alabama offensive line. Matter of fact, I'm going to look at some offensive linemen out of the SEC, period. Because I believe if there's one conference that has a good bevy of offensive linemen, it's going to be the SEC. And you might want to raise some of those historically black college and university because you're going to find some unknown gems coming out of there. But Dak, though, is like that common influence in the locker room. You know, you always talk about that locker room presence, that locker room presence. How do guys respond to certain people in the locker room? Well, we've seen how the Cowboys responded, not only in the locker room, but on the field. Now, you put Dak back in there, the level of play is increased. The wide receivers, their stats are better. Zeke, his game is better. Zeke even went on record and said that this is Dak Prescott's team, not his team. So even Zeke got that much sense to know who the team belonged to. So now it's just a matter of Jerry saying, okay, let me figure this out. I want to give him five years. He only wants a four-year deal. So Dak, I tell you what, and let me get my Jerry voice. Well, look here, Dak. You know, I I really like to have you here long term. But you're not working with me. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to work with you. I'm going to give you this five-year deal. But since you only want four-year, I'll give you the option in your fourth year. It's a five-year deal, but you have the option in your fourth year. Come on, Dak. The money is still the same. What you say? Then that's when I can see Dak putting on this cowboy hat, dancing, and say, Finally, we done made it somewhere. But it's going to take somebody to be the bigger man. You kind of like that, Jerry, in first station, did you? Actually, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, yeah, I mean, I, I hear you saying it's Dak's team, but, man, have you seen Russell Wilson play? Like, I, I've, seen, I've seen Russell play. But before you know it, Russell's going to be aging. I think he's 32. I, I, I want to say he's 32 now. Yeah, I believe so. And at what point? Yeah, he's, 30, he's 32. He'll be 33 by November of this year. And he has taken some hits himself, too. I mean, he's bounced back. But yeah, the older you get, those hits don't get no easier to take. And you don't brush them off. I mean, the hits he's taken on his body. He may be 32, but I guarantee you he's probably 53 in age. Now, do you still want Russell Wilson? I do. <laughs> I mean, but like just the way that, you know, he improvises, like he's calm, he's cool. His touch on the ball is phenomenal. Like, Russell Wilson, like honestly, you know, I don't think he got like a lot of respect, you know, in his earlier earlier days, but that man is a top two quarterback, top three quarterback for sure at the NFL. That he's he's very I think he's nice. I I'll trade him over Dak Prescott. I mean you're gonna get maybe a little bit less years. You'll still get the same four years that you wanted with Dak and it's gonna be cheaper. 
Uh, I mean, so I believe I would I would do it. I mean, you might have to trade some assets, maybe a second rounder, you know, this year or something. But I would definitely would do it to get them. Uh, I believe our offensive line, you know, still as it's constructed, is better than Seattle's. I I believe that Connor Williams is probably a a, a weak spot in that line too. Center, I think center is okay. I mean, Joe Looney can hold that down a little bit, but uh, or Tyler Biddy. What's his name? Biotish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he can hold that down too. But Connor Williams needs to like still get stronger. I mean, he had a he had a good decent year last year, but if he steps his game up this year and Tyron Smith can, I don't know what the hell we're gonna do with him. We gotta put, probably put him in a bubble or something because that man the last two years has been injured nonstop. But when he's healthy and on the field, he's still a top five left tackle in the NFL. And that's the thing. When because once thing. his hand is on you, you're not getting you're not getting. You're not getting around it. Right, but that's the thing. When he's healthy, and like you said, last couple of years, it's been injury after injury after injury. So you, you have to look at starting to replace those key components sooner than later. We, I mean, the offensive line used to have such a depth chart that they could have went too deep, maybe two and a half deep. But now they can barely fill an offensive line, and that needs to be addressed Last year, <laughs> basically. Well, I mean, when you think about it, like it was a perfect storm of injuries on offensive line and a sudden retirement. So, like, we weren't really prepared. And then COVID came and it kind of like threw us for a loop. Okay, damn, we don't know what the hell we're going to do or how we're going to, you know, fix our team. We got a new coaching staff. We have. So, I believe like it was just a perfect storm of, you know, events that just happened. And it kind of put us in a bad Rocky Road situation to begin with, anyway. So, I honestly, I think next year is going to be a better year for us. I'm not going to predict the record because I don't know, but I think it's going to be better overall. Second year in a new coaching, you know, coaching system, a new defensive coordinator. That thank goodness for a new defensive coordinator because that guy could not coach himself out of a barn <laughs> with a big old bullseye <laughs> on it, slapping him dead straight beside his dome. What was, what, it, man? If if I could say it like the Rock, what in the blue hell was he thinking? <laughs> Seriously, somebody. And then, like Mike, McCar- Mike McCarthy hired this man, knowing that his last defense assignment, his unit ranked last in the NFL, and that was like years ago. So he was out of league coaching. Well, he wasn't a league coaching, but he was just a linebackers coach. But he wasn't a defensive coordinator. And you bring him in, I think after a five year hiatus, and you expect him. Yeah. Whew. But I'm glad we got Dan Quinn. He has a track record of being a decent defensive coordinator, actually a phenomenal defensive coordinator when he has the right people. So hopefully, you know, we can, you know, get our personnel right and then go from there. I believe also our secondary isn't as bad as people want to say it is. It's bad, but it's not. I think that we were young it, last year in the right. back end. It's not, it's not Charles Barkley terrible, terrible. Yeah. It's, it was bad, but not terrible. <laughs> right. You know, and there's promises. You know, there there was some potential showing, you know, shown last year between some players like to me, Trayvon Diggs, like he's um you know, Stefan Diggs' younger brother. Mm-hmm. Uh he hasn't played corner for that long, but he got burned a couple times last year. However, like he's made he made some plays on the ball. I was like, okay, this is potential. Maybe a full year underneath him. We can get better on that. He could become a lockdown corner, like a Richard Sherman type, because he's long. Uh, you know, and he's tall, and he, you know he's kind of physical. So hopefully, we can we can get that out of him. Safety yeah, is another issue. 
Donovan Wilson, that man can hit his ass off, but can he, he can't cover uh, worth a damn. So we got to work on that as well. But I, I think that we're going to be okay. Well, I tell you what I'm going to do here. I'm going to take a pause here so I can slip in another break because we're kind of up against it. We get to talking and time get to going. So we're going to come back for another segment and we're going to talk some more NFL, possibly some NBA, because there's one player that made a statement about his own teammate. And I'm thinking, really, did he just say that? We'll tell you about that after the break. Stay tuned. A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right. Driven by you, the listener who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options. 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.kakeybums.com That's www.kakeybums.com www.kakeybums.com To enhance your workout, with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. All right, welcome back to my next segment. We still have Smokey on the line, and we are still building up a head of steam as this engine is rolling down the track in a neighborhood near you. So, Smokey, we was talking off the record, even though I'm on Facebook Live on my A-Train. Well, actually, it's my Anthony Smith Facebook page, but it has the A-Train logo on there. But uh, we was talking off podcast there about some things and brought up the fact that there's an NBA player who calls himself speaking up for his teammate. And I'm beginning to wonder if, if he even believes what he said. I'm talking about Anthony Davis. He was interviewed and he said that LeBron James does not care about MVP awards. All he cares about is championships. Now, granted, he won MVP, NBA championship award last year, and I get it. You know, there's a difference between the two, but at the same time, those are two different entities. Winning uh, MVP in the NBA championship game and M- MVP in regular season, two different ball games. And if you can win both, that's like icing on the cake. And we're talking about a legacy here. What, this is 18th season, 36 years old. Can't convince me 
at that age that he wouldn't want to win an MVP. So what do you think was going through Anthony Davis's mind? Protecting his teammates, uh, you know, reputation, his legacy, uh, making him not feel as if like he is an egotistical maniac in a, in a sort of sense of way. Like he cares about only thing he cares about is winning. Like, isn't that what a, you know, as growing up in sports, like, you know, there's no iron team. You just want to win. Forget the stats. That's all, you, you know, you pre, you know, you were preached. Uh, but come on, man, there's few, there's players here, you know, that exist, you know, that are played, you know, in different sports who want the accolades, who want the accomplishments, who wants, you know, the notoriety around the league. Mm -hmm. And LeBron James is definitely one of those players. Right. Right. I mean, I mean, even looking at, well, looking at what I'm doing, got you as a co-host here now. I mean, think about it. Podcast. There's probably about a million and one podcasters. Okay. Now, if they want to start listening in on everybody's podcast from the guys on ESPN and Fox Sports to the average Joe Blow like me, and if I was in contention for new podcast of the year, trust me, I would want to win that award because it means that somebody's taking the time out to listen, to critique me, and felt I was deserving of the award. Yeah, I would want it because no one remembers second place. They remember number one. Mm-hmm. So if I was in contention for getting an award like that, which also means I'm being monetized for the work I'm doing, yeah, I want that award. So, AD, thanks for trying to protect LeBron James, but next time, do your due diligence before you speak in front of a microphone. LeBron James, 36 years old, 18 seasons in the league. You better believe he won every award he can get. Oh, yeah, he's going to heap praises on the team. But at his age, no one has ever won MVP regular season award at an age of 36. You trust me, he wants that award. And he was pissed last year. He said it. He said, I was pissed off. It pissed me off. That, that Those are LeBron James' words when he lost out to Giannis last year. So much so that when they talked to him about it, he was talking about, look, I've taken second in a lot of things. He said second in an NBA championship game. He said, don't only get – so many votes out of so many votes. He said, yeah, I'm pissed. He said, not saying that the guy that won it didn't deserve it. Wouldn't even say his name, Giannis. Wouldn't even say his name. Can I emphasize that? He wouldn't even say his name, okay? That's how upset he was. So, yeah, LeBron wants to win that award. So, I don't buy anything that Anthony Davis said. LeBron also wants to be Michael Jordan. and That's not going to happen, so... Right. Of course, you. Of course, he wants the award. Of course, he wants anything that's gonna, you know, try to put him over the top of MJ. So let's not. Let's not. We're not fools, man. We were born at night, but we weren't born last night. Absolutely. So looking at what's the landscape of the NBA now? I mean, the Nets have reeled off a win streak without KD injured. The Lakers, it is what it is. We got an all-star game coming up that at least I know two players who really don't care about it. And before too long, it could be said maybe half the players don't care about it. But you also have to look at the narrative and why the game is being played and what some of the proceeds are going to. So you wonder if the NBA Players Association can get things together and not air their differences out in public because the main two factors 
with the NBA Players Association are good friends as of now. LeBron James and Chris Paul. CP3. Mm-hmm. But yet LeBron James feels blindsided by this. Well, you two guys are boys and y'all talk. Y'all are at the head. How did you not see this coming? Where, where was the communication breakdown at? And I still applaud CP3 for what he wants this game to represent as far as proceeds, you know, proceeds going to historically black colleges and universities. I think he needs to be commended for that. And I think this is me personally. We know LeBron James opened up a school within the inner city in, I believe, Akron. So it would appear that maybe he himself should be on board with this, whether he wants to play in the game or not. You know, he could say, look, I don't want to play in the game. I'm not comfortable playing. He said, but at least he could say, at least I applaud what proceeds are going to. That has not come out of his mouth yet, which would make me tend to believe that maybe their friendship or whatever it is has been fractured, so to speak, between LeBron James and Chris Paul. What you think about that? Uh, I believe that Chris Paul is doing right by the NBA PA standpoint. Uh, I believe LeBron James can just stop being who the hell LeBron James is and just look at it from the bigger picture because it's not only LeBron James, I believe it was Giannis. And Giannis was like, oh, the big dog said this. Like, no, the big dog didn't say nothing. The big dog in your situation is Chris Paul because he runs the Players Association. You are a player, so therefore he's representing you guys. So the big dog said y'all going to play an all-star game. Chris Paul, he's going to play an all-star game. You know what I'm saying? So I personally, I don't think that their friendships are getting away. I think LeBron James is, you know, smart enough to understand, okay, there's the bigger picture is one is going to get more money for the league, more revenue and the more revenue is more money for us. So, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, I don't want to do it because when I've been away from my family or there's no fans of the game, it's going to be boring, body, body, blah. But you know, suck it up and play the game. I think it's going to be a little fun. I think it's going to be a fun night. You know, one night you get an all-star game, you get a three-point shootout, you get a skills competition and a slam dunk. It's actually pretty nice. And I think they should probably go with that format, you know, to begin with. Because the Saturday and Sunday is a little bit too much for me, I think. But, I mean, hopefully it goes well. Hopefully it's max participation. However, I do want to talk about another storyline that came out of the all-star, you know, uh, selection process, if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, there was an uproar about Damian Lillard not being selected as a starter. Uh, you know, I'm about to go with this, you know, but they're mad because my son, Luka Doncic, was selected over him. Now, I got to ask you this question because I, <laughs> you, you know, I'm, hey, you know, I had to stop you right there because you refer to him as your son. So, how did that come about to be? Well, one, I'm a Mavericks fan, diehard Mavericks fan. Been a Mavericks fan since probably like 1999. Uh, so I've been around. I've been, I've been, you know, through the franchise, through the struggles, and you know, through our triumphs. Um, and then when I, I call him my son because you know, through the whole draft process leading up in 2018, you know, everybody was like, "Who's this Luka Doncic cat? Like, who is he? Why is he up there?" I was like, "Man, I, be, I watched some film on him. I was like, okay, this guy has it. Like, he's gonna be a problem." And the, when we draft, when we make that trade, I was like, yes. But everybody was like, why would the Mavericks do that? Body, body, blah. They should have, you know, kept Trey Young. 
I was like, nah, this is dope. This is awesome. Let's do it. And then 2018, it took the world by storm. 2019, last year, 2020. Like, so it's just like, dang, this is dope. I'm proud of my son. He's just, he's a top top five player in the NBA and only his third year. And he's only 21. So that's why he's my son. I call him my son for that reason. Well, you know, it'd be crazy if, 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 if that leaks out and somebody hears this and they'd be like, he said Luca is his son. And then if Luca happens to hear this by accident, my son, and we can get him on this podcast, man. <laughs> yeah, hey, it, any, it, anything can happen. Anything. Can happen. Hey, but I'm sorry for interrupting, but I had to get some clarification on that. But go ahead with this this All Star thing here. Let's let's hear some more about this. Damian Lillard, D. Lil, and Luca. So you know, if you want to, and let me pull up some stats here because you know everybody is so fascinated with Dame time. You know, I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. But let's look about the the totality of what's going on. Damon Lillard, you know, you know, for half the season, he had C.J. McCollum. He still had Carmelo Anthony. He has a deep team. I think their team is better constructed than the Mavericks because right now the Mavericks only have Luka Doncic and half of KP. Because Chris Porzingis is not damn – I don't know what's going on with him, but that's another story. We're just going to talk about Luka Doncic and Damon Lillard. So I'm going to read these stats off. And I want you to guess who was who. And I want you to see who, you know, who would you want to start? So player A, 28 and a half points a game. He's shooting 47.4 from the field goal, you know, percentage from the, you know, from the field, 8.4 rebounds and nine assists. All right. Mm -hmm. Then we got this one. 0.8 points, 45 from the field. Four rebounds, eight assists. So, I mean, that's a, a that's a blind like little test. I'm pretty sure you know who you know which players are which players. But mm-hmm. if you were to look at that, like, wouldn't you was think like Damon Lillard didn't get swindled? Like Luka Doncic is really just having a better year than him. Like, wouldn't you think that? Well, I mean, I, hey, he plays I, less minutes than Damon Lillard. So I, I I have to admit though I I, I enjoy watching Luca. Now I'm also telling you this little secret here too. Now I, I used to watch Dallas back in the day. Not that I was a Kansas State basketball fan. It was something about Kansas State back in the day. This was before you was born. I just didn't like their style of play, but they had a player by the name of Rolando Blackman. Blackman the marriage, yep. And that kind of made me follow the Mavericks to the point I actually want to see them. And they were a good team back then. They had some nice pieces. I want to see that team win a championship, and it never materialized. But, yes, I followed the Mavericks because of Rolando Blackman. And I guess I kind of followed them on and off because I'm the one I, I feel like I needed more than one team. And the other team that let me down, they're now known as the Oklahoma City Thunder, and we're talking about the Seattle Supersonics back in the day. They seemed to – I think they got with the hump one time, but they always ran up against either the Lakers or if they got past the Lakers eventually, they ran up against them gum Washington Bullets. And it was always some team to just – like a thorn in my side, whichever team I rooted for. 
they was going to begin somebody that was a thorn in my side. I couldn't stand the Lakers. Matter of fact, my mom used to say Kareem Abdul-Jabbar looked like a llama. <laughs> but yeah, Seattle, now known as Oklahoma City, and Dallas were my teams that I rolled with. So we, we kind of connected with the Dallas thing there. We did. I mean, Derek Harper was on that on that Mavericks team with Ronald Black. Now yep. I don't know if you're familiar with Derek Harper. Yep. But he was a too. Yeah, those, those are good Dallas teams back in the day. I just hate they couldn't win the big one. I think my Seattle team finally won one, but had to endure so many hard knocks. Like I said, back in those days, yeah, it was the Washington Bullets. So don't feel don't feel bad if you slip and say Washington Redskins because the bad thing is we're going to end up having to deal with the Washington football team for another year until they come up with a name. I mean, what was I going to hit with this? Mavericks. I'll come back. It'll come back to me. I have something to, to follow up on. Oh, Oklahoma City. Uh, you said they let you down. Yeah, I mean, they let you down. It's cool. But they actually got a good squad, a, a really nice young squad in Oklahoma City this year. Uh, the record doesn't say it, but they got some talent. And then uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Shea Gilgis Alexander, but mm-hmm. he's next up. I think he's going to be a nice little point guard, point shooting guard combo uh, for the Thunder coming up. He's averaging 23, I think, 8 and 6 or something right now this year. So I think he's going to be pretty good. And it'll just be a matter of what Oklahoma City puts around him, if he's coached correctly. I mean, all those elements play a big part. Coaching, supporting cast, or lack thereof. If you don't have that supporting cast and everybody pushing in the right direction, you just be a guy that's just out there getting stats night in, night out. You'd be a poor man's version of Russell Westbrook. Um, Just talking about getting stats, just like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown out there in Boston. I don't know if you heard about the – there was an anonymous player who leaked that, hey, Jason Brown uh, – Jason Brown. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, they're phenomenal players, but they're not not—they're not the type of players to help your team win championships because they don't get everybody involved. They can shoot. They can get to their spots, but they're not all-around players that a team need to get to the championship. Maybe one of them on the team, and then, you know, you got good, solid pieces around them that can facilitate, but they're not the ones that get you to a championship. And it came with that comes from an anonymous player, and then looking at it, it makes a lot of sense. Right. It makes a lot of yeah. sense. So let me ask yeah. you that: since you brought that up, do you think? And I know hindsight is twenty twenty, and he is going on. But do you think the team would have been better off with a Kyrie Irving? Uh, yeah, I mean, even the GM said that. So, I mean. I mean, honestly, it slipped my mind to why Kyrie didn't want to be there, or did he not sign? He just didn't sign with the team, right? He was a free agent. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it wasn't that he got traded. All right, so I mean, they could have just back to bring bring stuff up with Kyrie because Kyrie, no matter how you know you might think of him, that man is balling this year. Yeah, uh, he's a problem. So yeah, and Tim Walker, he's a good player, but he's no Kyrie. He's he's a he's a light version of Kyrie, like a Kyrie two point I mean, but he's not he's not Kyrie and and then the Celtics need Kyrie. But now look at him. 
So what do you think about what we're seeing with this Nets team now? Do you think they can sustain it? I mean, we're look, what was it, like an eight-game winning streak? Part of it is done without Kevin Durant, who's nursing an injury. Mm-hmm. And, and speaking of injuries, how will this injury affect him once he's healthy? And what will the Lakers do with AD? Will he be healthy enough to play throughout the season, or will he end up if he does come, when he does come back? Are they have to put him on minutes restrictions because we're talking about will he have a tendinosis? I know it has something to do with his Achilles, and we know how that played out with Kevin Durant. So is, a situ- mm-hmm. is it a situation you want him to come back, but you don't want to rush him back? And how much wear and tear? Would this put on LeBron, and can LeBron actually carry this team? You have to talk. So let's start with the KD. Yeah, let's start with the KD in the next first. Um, I believe. I mean, we can't doubt KD. I mean, the people thought oh, his Achilles injury; he's not going to come back the same. That man is averaging thirty damn points a game. So KD will be fine when he comes back. Uh, the next, only the next need. Is improvement like in the paint and you know, on defensive wise? Other than that, the Nets. Actually, no. I'll make a bold prediction right now. The Nets are going to be the NBA champions. The, the Lakers are not going to repeat. Wait a minute. Hold I'm on. Gonna... Hold on. Hold on. I I got to mark this down here. It is eleven fifty-five my time, twelve fifty-five your time, and you went on record and said that New York, the New Jersey, the Brooklyn Nets. I'm gonna get it right. Will be NBA champions and that the LA Lakers won't repeat. Yeah, I got that. Okay. And I'm even gonna say the LA Lakers will will not even make it to the finals. They'll make it to the Western Conference Finals. I don't even want to give them that, but I'm gonna give them that. Because I'm I'm still waiting on a couple of teams to show them, show us who they really are. Maybe in the second half of the season they'll pick it up. But Denver Nuggets. Uh, that and then I want to see if the Jazz come, you know, if Jazz. they'll come down to earth a little bit. Uh, maybe at the trade deadline, if the Mavericks can make a move, they can be it because, you know, you can't count them out. Uh, but the teams, like you said, the Nuggets, the Jazz, and I want to see what the Blazers do too because they're always a threat. But those three, I, I just want to see what happens in the West. Uh, but I don't think the Lakers are going to repeat just because Anthony Davis, like we, like you mentioned, he's hurt. And I was talking to somebody, they were like, yeah, I don't think they're going to bring him back until like April or May. And I believe that's like a little bit too long. I mean, Yang will come back, but I don't think they're going to put them in like in the right rhythm, you know, to get things picking up again and stuff for like that. So I think that's going to hurt them, you know, a little bit this year. So that would basically mean LeBron is pretty much going to carry this team because even if Kyle Kuzma was to put up some good numbers, you don't replace an Anthony Davis. Bottom line. Uh, so the team right now that's constructed with LeBron Davis playing on, this is like a little bit better version of his teams in like Cleveland. They got a little bit more depth, but I'm talking about his first time in Cleveland too, not the second mm-hmm. time, but his first time in Cleveland. It's kind of like that, but a little bit more, a little bit more depth to him, a little bit more, you know, solid players. So he's going to have to carry the team like, you know, like the old times. Cause if I'm the Lakers, I'll be extremely cautious with Anthony Davis. Cause you do not want a KD injury because remember at first it was a, it was a calf injury. Then it turned out that he ruptured his Achilles in the damn was it the last game of the well turned out to be the last game for them in the finals when he came back. So 
I mean, Lakers got to be cautious. That's the only thing I'm going to say about that. Absolutely. So, do you have any final thoughts as we get ready to wrap up this second segment? Do you have any final thoughts? Because uh, one day we're going to talk a little bit of baseball. We just won't have time. Baseball's to coming up. Spring training. Spring training is around the corner. Right. And well, it started already. Some game, right. It's already started. Some games have already been played. But I tell you what we're going to really? do. We're gonna, yeah. Some spring training games been played already? Yep. Absolutely. One was played yesterday with the uh, Kansas City Royals, I do believe. Heard that on the radio yesterday. But uh, – I thought it was just pitchers and catchers reporting the full the full squad is there already. Yeah, it was a uh, one of those like cactus league, grapefruit, whatever they can't see play the game yesterday. But baseball, I, wow, there's a but, tons of games on. Wow, yeah. I did not know. But what? I, but I tell you what we're gonna do. I'm gonna look at all my baseball stuff. Yeah, you look at all your baseball stuff, and I also want you to look at some Negro League baseball because we're gonna do a segment on that. You know, greatest names in Negro League baseball history, and then we're going to lead into our Major League baseball history. So we're going to go ahead and get that set up to do that next week, and then whatever happens after that, but we're going to talk a little baseball next week on the on the podcast, all right? So, cool. I mean, and also prayers to Tiger Woods, man. I mean, I know, yeah, he, you know he's alive Wood, and doing well, but – you know, praise to him. He's a he's an icon out here. You know, he may not want to claim that he's black or whatever, but he's one of us. I, I appreciate him and all he's done. So, yeah, praise up to him. Right. And that's the other thing. Like I said, I want to keep black history sports before the public because that is part of what shapes sports as we know it today. It's what has paved the way for black athletes that we have today. Had it not been for like... Hey, I don't know if you've seen on the NBA shirts, Built by Black History. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's pretty like one of the like toughest slogans like I've probably ever seen like in the NBA, like Built by Black History. When you think about it, that's 100% foundationally true. The NBA was is definitely built upon black history. Um, exactly. I mean, I mean, I'm not, you know, we're not trying to take it this way, but there's, you know, there's white players that have contributed to, you know, the league, but by far the nba is most grateful for black players and i'm actually kudos to them for allowing them to wear that um you know on their shirts you know and display that mm-hmm. so that, that's what we're going to start you know focusing on a lot more on this podcast because like i say it's very it's a very important part of history you can't downplay it you can't overlook it and i believe it's because of the fact that they decided to have inclusion of black players in multiple sports such as football, basketball, baseball. It also opened the doors up for tennis, golf, and even to some extent, not as often, you have some in hockey as well too. So yeah, I'm going to do some research and when we come back next Saturday, we're going to be loaded with some black history sports from a baseball perspective, and we're going to talk a little Major League Baseball and who we think has a chance of winning the World Series if they can get their amount of games, so how many games they want to play. I'm just going to go on record and say the Dodgers repeat. Oh, man. I, hate you. I, I don't like the Dodgers. Just a simple fact of how they treated the Astros. You know, but well, you know, I guess you know, the Dodgers. The Astros shouldn't have been banging the monkey. I mean, banging on the trash cans. 
I mean, that. I, I, here we go. I think that the Astros were just the scapegoats. The, that's been around in the league, you know, forever. And and I just think that teams were were caught off guard because, like, you know, we had like three years in a row with a hundred wins, and we just automatic a hundred losses, and we just come back and starting to whooping whooping people's butts, you know, on that on that diamond. And they had to dig up some dirt against us, even though there's a bunch of teams that are doing it. You know, it just had to be the Astros. And it's fine. Well, you know, you know what they always say. They say, I mean, not not to condone it, but they often say this too. They say if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Just don't get caught. Right. And I and I don't <laughs> believe they were cheating because I think that the Dodgers still could have beaten us because game seven was on the road there was no banging trash cans on the road for the astros and the mlb even said it so they only happened at home so if you honestly were that good and you wanted to beat us you could have beat us in your own stadium in game seven but nah charlie morning came out there and he did his thing for us and we got us a world series championship and no one could take it from us well you know you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta point it jose altuve because he didn't want nobody to touch his jersey because he was wired up whoa whoa <laughs> See, that's another – let's not, let's not do that one. He just got a tattoo, and he didn't want his shirt to be taken off. And mm. people – you know, his mm. wife said that he don't, they don't like him, you know, showing his skin off to the public, you know. Okay. Yeah, so we're going to go with that, you know. Well, i tell you what, man. It's been enjoyable. So next week we're going to come back loaded. We're going to – we're gonna come across like the odd couple because he don't like me to talk about the Houston Astros and he don't like the LA Dodgers. So, you know, we're gonna talk about two teams, the Dodgers and the Astros, Asterix. But uh <laughs> <laughs> Okay. We yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have this, we're gonna have this bout next week, but we're also gonna talk some uh Negro League baseball and to even sweeten the pot when we're talking Negro League baseball. Could some of the names that those teams had back then, would they be acceptable today if there was a Negro League or if Major League Baseball took some of the names that the Negro League teams had? So next week, we're going to be on the track, and you ain't going to want to miss it. So until next week, stay safe and stay blessed. A-Train. And Smokey will be back at you next Saturday. Same place, same time.